just, just so you know, you are in mistakes we've made along the way. So if this isn't where you intended, this is one of the mistakes you've made along the way. And you're welcome to sign in next at this time. But just for the sake, we are recording these sessions. So if you could just silence your phones. And uh, for the sake of the recording, after you ask a question, we'll, we'll maybe have them uh, reiterate the question again but so this is mistakes you've made along the way and uh, we're gonna go we're gonna do this a little bit differently than some of the other formats that you might be in today because we want this to really be beneficial to you so we're gonna let you drive the content and so these guys when it's kind of time to prepare we're gonna put the shine on it right now because these guys have been celebrated in a lot of different environments and I'm gonna give them about 30 seconds to kind of just kind of where they are right now and then we're going to let you ask them questions, and they're going to share from total transparency, humility, and just mistakes they've made along the way. And if you don't know these guys, they're great guys to connect with on the outside of this room. They've all, they've all been in ministry for years, and they all have such a, a unique skill set with them. So we're really honored to have these guys. And uh, this is Doug Garasic, Shane Walters, and Greg Ford. And I'm going to go ahead and let them just give you a little bit about where they are right now. And this is all the celebratory stuff you're going to hear, just this brief part up on the front. And then we're going to dive in and just talk about some of the things that you don't hear. And to me, that's the greatest benefit. You, I can go to a conference and I can hear how great everybody is, but then I just don't know. I just walk away feeling worse than when I showed up. Well, these guys are going to make sure that you feel great walking out of this room. And so the Q&A... Yeah. I got so the, covered. So the Q&A is really going to be about, you know, what mistakes have you made with this? And then if we want to start to get into some of the ways that they've encountered and, and navigated around that... That's what we're here for. Now, if you don't want to ask some questions, I've got some pre-scripted questions, but I really want this to be beneficial to you. So I'm going to stop talking. I'm going to let Doug start and just kind of introduce Great. a little bit of who he is. Actually, Doug's going to let Greg start first yes. because Greg want, or Doug wants to outdo all these guys. Right. So we'll let Greg go first, and uh, Doug will, after Doug speaks, we'll open it up for some Q&A. So you're wanting what? From just kind of where just you are right you now are. as a church. How the good, the good stuff. All right, all right. So we start. This is self promotion. All right, great, wonderful. All right, so we. Uh, my name is Greg Ford. We're here in Columbus. Uh, planted one church. We just celebrated our sixth birthday. Um, so I guess if, if just the good stuff. We're uh, we're running about between a thousand and eleven hundred each weekend. I hate saying numbers publicly because like the next week God just punishes you yeah. and half the church doesn't show up and it's like ah I got you. Um, but anyways, that's kind of where we're at right now. We had 324 people accept Jesus last year. Uh, so yeah, that's the highlight. All right. And yep. If you're not familiar with Greg's story, Greg has a great story of the uh, the uh, what, what would you call it? Just emerged. Is that yeah. the right word? Or maybe of an adoption. Yep. Yep. Yeah, there was a there was a church um, with an amazing facility and building and a great history uh, in our um, not far from us, about ten minutes away, and uh, we were able to mute, you know have a mutually beneficial relationship where we we needed a building very bad. They needed some momentum and energy, and so it was just a true win win. I mean, they we brought a generation into our church. Uh, was folks about sixty seventy years old that brought a lot of stability um, to us, and and then also they they gave us their equity. Um, the quick numbers, it's an $8.15 million uh, property. Uh, they owe 3.8. Uh, they're really struggling to pay for that. And so they gave us their equity, over $4 million of equity and their debt. Uh, we also have a school uh, <laughs> that, yeah, yeah. Um, but there's a school there that we now have oversight of and collaborate with that we share the expenses. So functionally, we're in there for about $2 million. Um, and uh, it was really cool because our, our church was growing at a rate that we, uh, everything that we needed, we couldn't afford, uh, and everything we could afford was going to be too small. So we're like, what are we going to do? And I was really stuck. And actually, um, the plug for the Ohio ministry network, they helped me solve that problem. I, I, I didn't know where to go. I was feeling particularly down in the dumps and, uh, inadequate because I'm like, I'm not a real estate person and where are we going to get this money from? And all of this. So we, uh, it's crazy when you back up and pray and seek wise counsel, you know, and are part of a network, you know, the doors open. So and it, it, was, it was just, it's been great. Good. Thank you. Yeah. Shane Walters. Um, yeah, we pastor Mosaic uh, in Cincinnati. We're just hit over four years. And uh, so we've made a lot of mistakes. 
unlike Greg, we've adopted two buildings, but both of them look like horse barns. And so, and uh, the equity number is not nearly as great. Um, but we're about 650 and we've kind of hit that place we can't grow. So we recently just, uh, last week, just bought a new uh, 40,000 square foot building that we're in the process of renovating and, and actually building out, um, which will really help our growth. And um, so, yeah, we've, uh, biggest mistake I've made is sitting next to Greg, realizing oh. how thick he really is yeah. and how thin. Uh, so, Shane, okay. just, for, just for a little bit of context, talk a little bit about how you got into the building you're in right now. So, yeah, so we, when we launched, we had a uh, passion with the old, you know, the 1960s stained glass 90 seat sanctuary. So that's always a great launching point. If you want to do reach new millennials, go to a really old church in an old community and say, hey, we're going to take that. So we did that and uh, we outgrew that. So we recently got, or two years ago, we got a building, a metal building. There was a pastor that had been there for about 20 years. And uh, the church was about to close. And uh, so we came in, took the building over and their debt. Um, but we really just feel like God impressed on our hearts to pay this pastor for three and a half years his salary. Uh, not realizing what his salary of 20 people in the church would, <laughs> was actually uh, the real numbers. But, uh, but just to help him retire with dignity. So we've taken that building, took that property. And um, so we've been able to bless him, his family, and I think it really it's ultimately been a huge blessing to us. We wouldn't be where we are if it hadn't had that. And, and this, again, is a place that you can go ahead and give it to Doug. With, with that backdrop, I've got angles I can go with some of these mistakes they've made along the way. But again, I want this to be driven by you, so be thinking of some questions that Doug's sharing. His, uh, where are you at? And Shane, if you... Um... If you want to pay me three and a half years, I'll give you all of my campuses as well. So I mean, I'll just we can work that out right now. So um, my name is Doug Garasic. I pastor a church in Youngstown, Ohio, called the Movement. We uh, planted five years ago. Uh, today we run about twelve hundred people, uh, three campuses, and two states. We're in Pennsylvania and Ohio. Uh, what makes our campuses unique, but also creates a lot of unique challenges, is we put churches where they don't belong to get people who don't belong in church. So we have two in malls, and we bought a bar in downtown and made it a church. And uh, so interesting, working in malls, working with high commerce, working with uh, lots of crazy things like that. So um, just navigated that over five years, made a ton, a ton of mistakes. Uh, uh, I like to say that this team is the 92 Barcelona team for the Dream Team, and I am Christian Leitner on the team. So, I mean, I'm just... <laughs> If you don't get that reference, you're probably too young, but... Uh, they're Googling it right now. Yeah, they're like, who? <laughs> Christian Leitner? Who's that? Okay, so, and, then, and then what's the future look like? What are you in the middle of right now? Uh, we're in an expansion project. We're going to take one of our campuses that seats 250, make it 450. We're doing four services a weekend at that campus, so we're just trying to you know, alleviate the stress of... We kind of built the shoe, and the foot's outgrown the shoe. So now it's just trying to navigate all the problems that come with that. Uh, moving that many people, I mean, we have, you know, 250 volunteers a weekend on a space that just cannot facilitate that. And it's just trying to keep the ball moving and not, we've lost momentum before. And that really sucked when we lost momentum before. And working for 18 months to rebuild momentum. Uh, so we're just not losing it again, but it's being very challenging to work through that. So where they're at, again, this is, this is just setting up a lot of discussion now. So where they're at, they've got here because they were not afraid to make a whole lot of mistakes on the journey. And if you heard just the three very unique stories going into malls, have you ever seen a church in a mall? They've got two of them. Again, just thinking differently. And then with Shane coming into somewhere and saying, listen, we want the facility. You're not willing to give it up, but we'll pay you. I mean, that's just an outside-of-the-box thought to, for a, a young church to take on an additional salary and really get no manpower for that, no, no energy for that. And then Greg with just the, the thought of how can we merge these two things. So really unique stories because I don't want to come in and just be like, hey, everything's wonderful all the time. And these guys are celebrated a lot. And they're getting invited to conferences to speak and they're going to, to all these different leadership stuff. And they should because what they have done was they've made a lot of mistakes along the way. So a lot of the, the things they talk about is through those. So I want to open it up to you. They're willing to talk. Financial mistakes, staffing mistakes, structure mistakes. I mean, they brought in consultants that told them how great they were, how dumb they were. Small groups, what do you have? What questions do you have 
that they can answer. And, and then we'll, and if you want to target it at one of the three, that's great. If not, we can kind of let them all pipe in. But for the sake of time, we'll, uh, we'll just kind of play it by ear. So I'm going to pause for about 12 seconds because that's about the time it's going to take one of you to speak up. <laughs> yes, what would be, for anyone that wants to say, just your biggest mistake? Um, I would say <clears throat> that's a hard question to answer because it depends on what realm you're talking in. Uh, if I'm just speaking personally, uh, the hardest mistakes for me have been people mistakes um, because it uh, it eats me up. You know, it saps me emotionally. Um, it's hard for me to bounce back, recover because I'm I care a lot about people, and if I feel like I've hurt someone or uh, something goes bad there. It, Do you have a specific one you can share? Yeah, I I, I had a uh, a really good friend who uh, really made huge sacrifices to come and help us start the church, and uh, you know we talked in fairy tales at the beginning of oh it'd be like this and it's going to be so great and we're going to raise our kids together and uh, you know all of that and then you know he got there and it just wasn't clicking and so to go through the pain of dealing with that, uh, and then the pain of ultimately separating from that, uh, I, I felt bad, you know, uh, he, he did as well. And, and, uh, you know, we're in a good place now and he's doing great things and it's not because he's bad. He's a good leader and he's, you know, good guy, but, and that's just one example. I mean, I've had, you know, quite a few times, like as the church has grown, uh, just naturally you have to change. It changes the context of your relationship with people. So there's people that out of the gate, have really sacrificed to help us get to where we are. And they've, they've had proximity and you've built bond and depth and relationship. And at some point, um, if you're not willing to really restructure and change your relationship, uh, you're going to hold the church back. Right. So you gotta, and that, that, that all makes sense on paper, but, um, it's very hard to do because you, you, you know, what happens is you go from one person needing a little bit from a bunch of people to a bunch of people needing a little bit from one person and that number is growing tremendously. And so, um, yeah, I think other number one, I have a, I don't mind failing. If I have one thing going for me, it's I'm, I'm okay with failing. I'll try stuff. I don't mind trying and failing. Um, uh, my identity is not based on my success or failure. So if you think I'm a, a failure or whatever, it doesn't bother me too much. Um, I, I, I get it between the Lord and I, my whole thing is I, I'm going to work to earn the respect of the people in my corner, not the people in the crowd. So if the people in my corner know, know where we're at, I'm cool with that. And so because of that, I'm willing to calculate and make mistakes. And, and, um, so they, they, they don't devastate me. You know, I feel like we, even the ones that we're embarrassed of, we, we learn from, but I, I think the ones that are most costly for me that last the longest, that are hardest to bounce back from are the ones that are related to people, whether it's you know, putting them in a position that they're not ready for or putting them in, taking them out. And, you know, I tend to be a ready fire aim person a little bit, you know, measure once, cut once, you know. Um, and so learning a little bit to, uh, to listen better to the people around me. Uh, Cause every one of them, people I trust would go, Hey, you really, I don't know. Right, I'm like, so on, on the front end of this, so it's really what the mistakes you feel like you made along the way is maybe you didn't have enough clarity on the front end or painted a different picture on the front end. Probably. A, so I, I come from a long line of people who are a little overconfident in their own opinions. And so, um, I, anytime, anytime someone would push back, I would tend to think, I would tend to think they, if someone pushed back on my thought, I would think they were either lack faith or courage, you know? And so, and, and, and yet they had, they were a lot of times like bringing tremendous perspective. So I've learned to value the voices around me more and to ask and to really ask with really wanting an answer and not getting defensive or not being too confident in, in what I think. Perfect. Yeah. Thank you. I would say probably my, there's probably two huge mistakes that we've made. And then there's been a lot, you know, around that. I think the biggest mistake I had when we went into church planning was first of all, not realizing that, um, my sacrifice and my family's sacrifice was not anybody else's call. So I couldn't understand why people weren't willing to sacrifice at the level that we were. And then my grace 
and uh, my heart, and I'm talking about team, not people in our church, um, pu- ca- casting all of my expectation on them, and they weren't living up to my expectation, and I re- began to realize that that God called me and my family, and uh, at a different place than the, than other people. And uh, so I think the ability to have grace with people when they weren't where I was uh, was a, a really big mistake. Um, and and it costs it costs you relational equity with people, right? And so instead of grace, and it's not because you're trying to cast that on people; it's because you care so deeply about the people of your city, the people of your church, right? You're you're the one laying awake at night praying, going, God, I, I want to get this right. I want to get this right for these people, Lord. I, I know the, the price, the cost. You know, we know the sacrifice. You guys know the sacrifice your family makes to get you to that place. And, uh, and when people don't get that, if you take it personally and don't understand God's called them at a different place, it will cost you relational equity. And uh, so that was number one. And I think the second uh, biggest mistake, or probably the biggest mistake actually, is um, not realizing my own weaknesses on the journey. And what I mean by that, and God has a way of showing us that. So um, everything, you know, you know how like when you're in those momentum sweet spots in ministry, I mean, like everything's going well. And I don't know what that looks like for you, but you just know when you're in momentum mode, right? Yeah. Momentum is one of those things like when you have it, you know it. And when you don't, you know, yeah. but you can't describe it. And uh, for the first couple of years, we had the momentum, um, really just momentum was happening. And I began to rely on my experience and not God in a, in a place where um, I wasn't hearing God the way I needed to. I was hearing good ideas and asking God to step into those. And, uh, and then it was about a year and a half ago. That's when uh, really I went through a, the tragedy of my life where, man, if you ever just been in a place of ministry, you're going, okay, I'm ready to quit. And I'm ready to be done with this. And that was about a year, year and a half ago. I didn't want to talk to anybody. I didn't literally, I remember laying in my office, vomiting blood. I mean, I'm, I was so stressed out, so uh, messed up. And, and, and I was at that place where I really thought, okay, God, give me all that you got. I can handle it. Just keep giving it to me. I've got this. And then there had to be a day when I was, I didn't have this. And, uh, and so it wasn't until that place that I just came and said, I remember God saying to me this, this one line, you're either going to die or you're going to die today. And I'll let either one happen. And, and that's what it was. Like I was going to die physically or I was going to die spiritually. And so I had to get up to my, to our church and it was a massive transformation, but that I had to say, I had to repent in front of our church saying, I've loved Jesus's bride more than I've loved him. And I've loved my family more than I've loved him. Meaning that I was trying to be the God of my family. And I was trying to lead the church like God. Even though I wasn't thinking I was God. I just thought I should love it that much. Instead of really being the lead follower. I was trying to be the senior pastor. And I had to let Jesus be the senior pastor. And uh, so that was pretty painful. Thanks, thanks for letting me come after that. I really right. appreciate that, Shane. Well, I didn't have any like, great notes. Uh, 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 <laughs> Hey, when, uh, when it's all, when everyone outweighs you, just go spiritual. It just, so just pray. Trump card. We're just going to pray right now. Um, I would say, in, um, kind of a, a little bit of piggybacking on what these guys said, but the truth is, I didn't have a plan for success when we actually grew. So I think everybody in your mind thinks, what will we do if we fail? Like, okay, we're going to work through this, we're going to work through that. Do you actually have a plan in mind when you succeed? Like, we hit 1,000 at two years. Okay, unprecedented. It was like, wow, I can't believe this hit. And we had no plan. I mean, we, but then now we're five years, three years later, we've only grown 200 more people because I had to relearn to get a plan for what that growth looks like. I mean, so we just hit a wall and it was like, wow, we got all these people coming to our church. And we have no idea what we're doing. And the truth is we really did. We have no idea. And I wasn't even my, I have a friend in the other part of the country that his church, and, I'm, and I mean this, his church is two years old and it's 7,000 people in attendance in two years. He had a plan when he was dreaming of the church what it would look like to get to that level. And I just envied him. I said, I wish I would have been smart enough or had enough wisdom in my back pocket to say, what if this actually works? So my biggest failure came after our biggest success. We broke some barrier that most people would dream to hit. And then we just looked around and said, okay. And for years, we just coasted off of it. 
And that was tough. That was hard on your identity. Because now you feel like your best days were like you hit it. You hit, you're like a one-hit wonder. You feel like, okay, I did it one time, but I can't keep sustaining this growth. The second thing I would say, and this is hard for church because if you employ people and you know they're not a fit, they're not going to go with you on the journey, the issue is we often want to, here's what we do in church, and just correct me if I'm wrong. We tend to hire fast and fire slow. In reality, we should hire slow and fire fast. At least I do. I tend to like meet you and like, you're great. Do you want a job? And like just... (laughs) And then the staff's like, who is this? I'm like, I'm like I don't know. They're on the staff. They're all on the staff. Shane is on board. He's coming home with us. And so the kicker is, is like, I was so bad at hiring fast that like my team's like, their head's spinning. Like, we don't even know who this person is. And like, Doug just brought him on the staff, you know? And then they would just, can I say this? We can cut it out. They sucked. Like, they just didn't do their job. And you're like, I, I hired you not just to be in ministry. I hired you to help this church hit the next level. And then it's like, wow, I'm going to give you 18 months of just screwing things up now. Because I didn't want to be the bad guy. Because you know what else really stinks is when somebody, because church is so different than, fa- than business because their family attends the church that they're employed at. And so you've got the spiritual element, their kids are in your youth ministry, and you're kind of like, and so I tend to kind of back off and not make the decision I know I should make. Because I want to err on the side of grace, which we all want to. But sometimes when it looks for the actual mistakes I've made is keeping people on staff way too long and like man we would have saved money we would have got the right person in there and we would have been the church that we're supposed to be but i was too afraid of what it would look like to be the guy who's firing people so that's good that's a really great question to start with now it's like all right where do you go from there so does anybody have specific questions or even unpack something that they talked about yes sir so all of you talked about having um pretty quick growth how do you maintain a personal family feel within your church body and not get lost in just the size and business of it? I know we all have like small groups within churches, but even within small groups, sometimes it's like, okay, any living, breathing human being who can stand there and be a Bible study plan, great, go. <laughs> right. So how do you kind of maintain that discipleship feel and still grow in that sense? So really kind of repeat the question back for the microphone and then go ahead Repeat the question. Oh, I got it. I just want to repeat the question. I don't want to answer it. No, I'm just repeating the question. The question was, when you grow, how do you keep a family-style church in the sense of community? Well, there's give and takes to a church. And if you've got a smaller church, you have family-style church. You get a bigger church, it's not always as easy as it once was. We know that. So uh, the kicker that we found, and this is just what we've done, is if you are going to lead anything in our church, you are going to lead you're going to understand what pastoral care means to people. Nobody can lead just because you're talented in our church. So you might be the most gifted audio engineer out there. But if you're not wanting to pastor people, and that's a scary word for people, but really we break it down to care for people. If you don't have a desire to text somebody and encourage them and to care for them, a big church only gets small when you have pockets of people that are really genuinely caring for the people in that church. Can't happen from the platform. It can only happen, we like to say, church is great on Sunday, but real church is defined by Monday through Friday. Like, what do you do during the week that defines your church? And, man, you just got to celebrate things. You make heroes out of the people that are doing what you want them to do. And you just continue to tell the stories of the wins in your church. And I just think it won't be the same. The, the reality is, at least for me, man, the first 100 people started the church with me, maybe 10 are left in my church. And they loved it. I mean, we didn't have a moral failure. We didn't do anything ethical. They just missed when it felt like the church was this room. Well, (laughs) ethical enough that it didn't make Google or anything, you know. Either you two have uh, an example of maybe how you didn't do that along the way, and maybe caught up to it. Yeah, and I. So for us, um, you know, our core values are faith, family, and fun. And so this was kind of my mistake, but I think God corrected this part in the beginning. Is we came from large churches, you know, so we were a church of five thousand, and that's where we came. And I knew the systems of large, right? But I think God allowed us, and if you're a churchman, this would be my encouragement. I'm not saying I'm right. This is just our experience. Um, We started with that mentality, but God, I think, brought us in the two buildings we were um, because he helped us, my wife and I, fall in love with people again in our community. So I stopped traveling, stopped speaking. Literally, we were with people in our community, our home. 
And so for the first year, we did, we tried to live that out. And we can't do that anymore. That's the, another painful transition we can't do with all of our people in our church anymore. But literally day and night, that's where we invested our time, our life. Not even So we didn't want anyone to come from Dallas with us to plant the church because we wanted only the people of our community. So I would say you model it before you teach it. So if you're not modeling intimacy with people in your community, your home's not open, you're not modeling uh, that intimacy, it'll never be the value of your church. Because I don't care if your church is 10,000 or 100, it doesn't matter. If it's not modeled, and you can't teach it without modeling. And so that means we don't live the life of like, well, we got our personal life and then our ministry life, because that's garbage. You're either in ministry or you're not. That doesn't mean you don't. So our whole life is modeling that. And, um, and so what I would say is if you want intimacy in a church, you can't teach it. You can't get a consultant to show you how to do it. You have to model it and then you have to change the level of how you model it. Um, but that's how you do it. And so when people see it in you, I think they'll begin to know that's who you are as a church. So what I heard you say when, when you asked that was like, I heard the word feel and that's, that's a tough one because things are going to feel different as the church grows. And so I think like one of the things that's about feelings is they're usually undefined, you know? So it's like my wife and I, you know, we just talked about this with the church, you know, like eight months ago, we were in an argument. We're trying to define what the frustration was in our relationship. And I had mine. We're really pragmatic. I was like, boom, you know, if you'll do this, this, and this, you know, I'll be, everything will be great on my end. And then, and hers were more feeling. She's like, you know, I don't feel cherished, you know? And I'm like, okay, like, let's talk about like, what does that mean? Like, you know, cause I think I'm killing it. Like, I think I'm ta- I think you're like, you're so cherished. You're amazing. You know? Yeah, and so like, so, so we had to like go into that. Like what, what, and so I asked her like, who, who do you see cherish their wife? You're like, I wish Greg would do that. You know, and we, we started moving toward like this definition. So, you know, you'll start hearing as the church grows, like people going, Oh, it just doesn't feel the same. Well, it's not the same. Like it's, there's more people here. So if, if it's important to you all that you feel like family, um, which it should be, I love that you even care about that, um, that you say, you, you, you decide, okay, if the family's this size now, what systems do we need in place? And how do we need to communicate those systems to make sure that people are being cared for and that it does feel like a family? So what does it mean that they're not getting visited in the hospital, that nobody knows that they're there when they're not there, um, that they don't have as many friends, they don't see their friends anymore? Like when you come up with solutions to those problems, whether they're systems or whatever, you just need to communicate that very clearly. Hey guys, do you all see that this church is growing? It's exciting, man. 320 people accepted Jesus. But here's the deal. We think the church is an extension of the family. We want you to know that. And so if you're in the hospital, here's how you do it. You know, if, if you want to become part of a community of relationships and people know your name and notice when you're not here, here's how you do it and make that super clear. Cause it, yeah. it's harder for it to be organic um, you know, when it's early and everybody knows everybody's name, uh, or if the church is smaller, everybody knows everybody's name, then it happens fairly organically. Um, if when it turns into systems, um, you have to communicate clearly those systems and the heart behind those systems yeah. and make that a part of whatever your greatest level of communication, whether it's from the, you preaching it or uh, on your website or your social media posts, whatever it is, you're, you're making it clear on how to do that. But when did, you, when did you say, Greg, a casualty of, a, of explosive growth is you're going to lose that. I mean, you, then you, you lose it, and then you just have to fight to get it back. Well, so you're like, why are people, why are people coming to the church? So, so if, they're com- if the church grew, you know, because, um, well, I'm, I don't mean to embarrass him. Doug's a very charismatic personality. You can feel it in a classroom with cinder block walls, right? Imagine you give him a mic on Sunday, he's Wait, preaching, yeah, yeah. right? Pe- 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 people, people... People are bringing people like that. that that's that's going to be a catalyst. That's going to be a catalyst for their growth. Is going to be his charismatic personality and others that you see. So if they came there for that, now you're selling the family to them. Like I, I you know, I have people you know that come to the church that are they're there be, to be inspired on Sunday, not necessarily to have an extension of the family. I believe they need it. I think life's better in community. And, and what's going to happen is they're going to get sick and they're not going to know anybody. Mm-hmm. So, so I have to try to create, just like with your children, you create appetites in them. Like you, you, you want to create an appetite. You, you want to teach them to want the right things. Um, you, you know, you're teaching your church to do that. But if it's growing quickly, it's probably growing because there is some other stimulus beyond right. the family yep. side. There's a lot of family churches people aren't coming to. So I, I think like, you know, with that, and I would, I would echo on Greg. 
because we've had this discussion a lot in our staff. People don't come to church to find relationships. They'll find them anywhere else. People come to church because they're broken and they need a savior. They know something's wrong on the inside of me and they start thinking if I can connect with God, it might fix my problem. We know the best antidote for a lifetime of success is to get in the church family. Not just to come to church and get your little needs fixed. Like, okay, I feel better now, and then I go home. So as a team, we're strategizing to give you something that you don't even want when you're coming in the door. You just want your problem and pain to go away. We are saying the best way to fix that for a lifetime is to integrate into the church and the family of God. So you're teaching somebody something that they're not even looking for when they're coming. Most people in today's era, now, 100 years ago, the church was the center of a community. All the dances were there. All the town halls were there. The elections were there. Today, that's the school. The school is the center of a community. So for church to win that influence, people are going there not even thinking that's what the church is about. They're thinking, I'm coming because I'm broken. Something's wrong. I might be going through a divorce. I've got money issues. I've got something in my head that's causing me to feel certain ways. And then it's our job, yes, to give them Jesus and say yes to God. But from there, to carefully assimilate them to a point when they look around, they go, this has become my family. And when you've gotten that, you're going to just keep growing a church. Good. That was very good. Did that? Good. I see there was a question over in this area. Mike, did you have a question? Yeah, in regard to multi-site, was that your intention from the beginning? That's the next session. Those guys are going to really teach you about multi-site. Don't, don't, right don't be no, Okay, what was that? Was that your intention from the beginning of what mistakes have you made? And how oh, I can write the book on mistakes on multi-site. Um, <laughs> Yeah, um, only do it with somebody who you feel is going to be a lifetime person, and you're and you're don't don't bring somebody in who you think. Th- my biggest mistake in a lot of ways is I always take people on potential. Potentially, they're going to be awesome, man. They're going to get it. And the issue with taking someone on potential is you're hoping and dreaming they're going to arrive to it, versus taking for the facts that you see in front of you. And so, Mike, just to clarify, so the question What's is, the question again? Was that part of the original vision? And so yours was... To- I'll never be invited back to one of these panels, just so everybody knows. Uh, yes or no, was that your original... No, but I think these guys would say, and even like you heard Shane say, that we thought I just went on church, a tie but we had to start this way. So I know that your, your plan is to multiply. True. Yeah. And then even, Greg, I know that you, you're, I think, if out of the gate, you were like 100 churches in 50 years. Something. Boom. I mean, you had this, this number out there. So they did, you know, Greg's thing is to ignite a movement, not mm. just start a bunch of Well, that's a good name. Uh, but that, honestly, that's part of, that's, that's a social media strategy right there. I can probably tell you more about Greg's church based on his social media than I can from attending that stuff. So there's yeah. probably some mistakes along the way there, too. The, qu- the question was, though, again, what, what was the question? Was that you part of your original intent? Yeah, it was. Uh, originally, we always we never wanted to build uh, – we wanted the resources of a large church, but to feel like a small church. So that was kind of our get-go, was like, let's make experiences of two to 500 in a service versus build a 5,000-seat room. And so we, and very much so from the get-go, my wife actually found the original binder from six years ago that we made for 14 people to talk about doing a church with. And it actually, we're, we're only, we're there. We've done everything on the timeline, which is crazy, just some different locations. But we're right where we said we would be at five years, which is God's grace. But we've made a ton of mistakes on the way of getting there. Hey, can, I, can I respond to something real quick? I just had a thought back on his question. I wanted to just go back to it real quick because in, in conjunction with what you said about mistakes, one thing, I, one big mistake I made that I think might help you to break through because it really helped us a lot was um, when people came into our church, because, because I love people, I, I'm highly relational, I like to be around people and I'm good with people, um, I would be, early on they would have some interaction with me and, and, um, and I would kind of like, it, it, their first impression in the front door was like connected to me. So we were having people to our house. You know, we were doing, you know, pizza with the pastor at my house. We were doing every like front door event. I was there. I was shaking their hand. I was getting to know their name. And it actually was hurting us because it was creating this expectation that I was going to your new best friend. And I'm, I was getting everyone my cell phone number, you know, oh yeah, call me, text me anytime, like whatever you need. Okay, so what happened is I was disappointing people. We were creating an improper expectation. And then I would actually accidentally hurt people because they would um, – you know, they would come in and expect that I was going to be a responder. Then, then we started doing this thing where once a month we would do welcome to one church. And we had these tables and these table leaders and I would show up after the third service, walk in and just start talking to everybody. And they're like, Greg, don't come anymore. 
So they're like, because when you come, you take over, you sit down at the you know, table, you undermine the leader, um, you, you, you take their value away, everybody looks to you, everybody's waiting for you to come talk to them. And, and, and now, you know, like all these leaders that we recruited, um, they're, they're frustrated because, you know, you came in and dominated the room. So, um, so all that to say, one of the things, like if you want to build that family atmosphere, you got to raise up a lot of, you got to raise up a lot of leaders, a lot of parents, a lot of moms and dads, you know, that have, and you know, their personality and their heart, you know, is, is going to be leading. So that means you're gonna to have to get out of their way and let, let them do that. And it could be that people, one of the obstacles is people, you know, want to be connected to you. And if you don't set someone else for, up for success, you could be accidentally undermining them. It was another thing that was killing us in leadership development is I would show up to a meeting and I am so opinionated and, and I've never been in a meeting. I didn't think that I could run better. Like every time I'm in there, I, I want to take over every single meeting. I, like it just, it's, I got to fight the impulse to go, I tell you what, let's take it this direction. Like I just always want to do that. So I would be in this, uh, I would be in these meetings that these other leaders were leading and I would think, dude, they're you know, they're going to run like a, this is going to be like a six idea, man. And I've got a, at least a nine, probably a 10 idea in my head right now. So I would throw that out there. I would undermine them. Um, and, and then of course people would jump on my, my idea, whatever that leader didn't get a chance to develop. So if you have a, a highly relational personality, you know, if things are revolving around you, um, the best thing you can do is to get, you know, remove yourself from the equation, truly empower people, um, to, to lead and then to bite your tongue, uh, or, Again, remove yourself when your your instincts or your you know your feelings are taking you into it. Hey, can I come back to, to your question? So this is a huge mistake we made in multi-site. So we had our first building; it set you know the ninety people, and we ripped the pews out. Someone we took over another building uh, because we had outgrown. So we just took the building you know with vision, without preparation, and even though our intentionality was to be multi-site. So here was the mistake. Uh, because we had no money and no real people after one year leadership, you know, to really sustain that. Here's what we found ourselves doing. We would have service at our Loveland campus. Uh, after the band got done leading worship, they would drive 15 minutes to Milford to be there to lead that worship. And then I would drive as soon as I got done preaching, run out to go over there while the band was coming back uh, to lead the third service back here. Then I would come back and do that. And then, and so we were going back and forth, back and forth. Vision. Um, no. So, vision um, larger than uh, systems and, and plan will kill you. Right? Good heart. Good. And could we sustain it? Yeah, I sustained it for a year um, before my wife uh was about to divorce me. I mean, not literally, but probably in her mind uh, because it was insanity. And it was cool because here's what happened. Everybody's like, that's so amazing, man. I remember we were driving so fast back to get to the third campus because uh, you couldn't have like God move any more than like 38 seconds. And so I had a driver that was on the phone. Like he hit a dog on the, literally hit a dog. Brian hit a dog on the way back. And I said, dude, you cannot stop and help that dog. It's flopping on the road. I'm like, dude, you can come back. Um, and I, if you're a PETA, I get it. I understand it. I broke my heart too, but I had to get back. And, uh, and my point was, my point was, was the heart right? Yeah. Was the vision right? Yes. Was the execution wrong? Absolutely. And I'm going to tell you right now, whatever you're doing, have the vision for it. Now we have it. So in 2018, yes, our second campus will start healthy in the right way. Um, but it was the case of someone giving us a building that fueled my vision without really bathing it in prayer and wisdom and making sure you had the right leadership. And because it was the Greg thing that what you're saying is, I can do this. I got this, man. I can come into the room. I got a better idea. And, and what I learned was God seems to always have a little better idea than me. That's the only meaning I can walk in and not feel like, you know, like I'm going, I got this. You know what I'm saying? And so. What else you got? Yeah. And then we'll go back here in the back. What, um, how much clarity do you expect from your staff vision for church is to be fleshed out in their the weekly operations of their ministries. I guess with that, what, what, what I mean is, do you expect them to come to you 
and try to get clarification of the clarification? Or is it your job to make sure that you're proactively giving clarification? Well, I don't... Vision on how it's moved out? Or is it... And then how much, like, is enough? Like, when is... You've had enough clarity now? Never have enough clarity. Ever. I don't think so. I don't... I'll, I'll just speak to our... Our reality is clarity and vision are everything. I can't expect my staff to come to me to get clarity because then I'm not leading, right? I have to lead in vision. So that is my number one job right now. I'm becoming uh, all about vision, but I have to make sure it's clearly communicated to our staff and the expectation of what they're doing. So uh, our staff and, and can tell you some more here, they don't just get to go, Hey, here's what I'm going to do. It's, it's a great idea. We work 30, 60, 90 day goals. We walk through goals. I set the tone for their goals. So they don't just go, hey, here's what I'm going to do. It's a great idea. If we don't have visions at our church, we have vision, a singular vision, one heart, everyone come together. And if you can't get at that place, but here's the deal. If you're not clearly communicating it, your staff will define it for you. And, um, and so we don't let staff divine, define vision. We let God define it, and it, I, I have to be the one who leads it. So if you have a, a clarity issue, here's what I've learned. It's a you issue. If there's not clarity in your organization, it's 100% on you as the leader. Okay? You go, well, I got these other people, and they're doing... Then that just means that you're not leading. You're letting someone else lead because you weren't clear enough in the vision. And um, so... How would you want your It's, we always have a hundred percent open door, but we listen. We have uh, weekly meetings, we have monthly expectation meetings, and so I'm saying to you, that's all I'm ever talking about with our staff is clarity and and um, and Keenan can tell you, And it's sometimes, most times, it's not fun. Keenan will explain that to you later if you want to have. I would um, recommend you guys connect, Josh. Keenan's yeah, right here. He works for Shane. Yeah. Yeah, and so uh, you know, and even that. Listen, Greg. Greg gave me great uh, insight on that. And so Greg's helped me and he's probably going, well, dude, you weren't listening to me, everything, even with Keenan, because Keenan was with Greg, right? I have to now be overly clear with my staff. And the bigger you get, the clearer you have to be. And uh, so never, you can't take a break from it. All right, so I just had uh, like a revelation the last couple of weeks. I, I read probably the best leadership book I've read at least five to 10 years called um, Team of Teams. It's General Stanley McChrystal, and he talks about fighting Al-Qaeda and how basically everything that led up to the military up to that point, um, you know, in terms of efficiency and all of this, uh, it led to a certain type of fighting, and now you're fighting Al-Qaeda and everything's chaotic. And so he had to, he he goes, he compared it to, um, he he said, we thought that we were uh, changing offensive systems in the second quarter of the game while the game was going on. He goes, actually, we were changing from football to basketball in the second quarter of the game. He said it was, it was that big of a, tr- a transition. So he, he talked about the whole thing that we've all heard Craig Grishel and everybody, Andy Stanley, everybody say about pushing decision-making down to the lowest levels of the organization. And the further down you push, you probably heard all this, right? The further down you push decision-making, the more successful you are, which we were pushing decision-making down, except the problem was people were making bad decisions. And so then it's like, well, uh, what do you do? Do you live with their bad decision and go, um, uh, yeah, but we push decision-making down good for us. Uh, or do we make all the good decisions and, and, and then, you know, not push decision-making yeah, will down? You, but will you, you'll do a good job of this. Will you explain the difference when an Andy Stanley says, I push down decision-making, who he's pushing it down to, and when you're starting out as a church, who you're pushing it down to? There's a two different yeah. tiers. Yeah, mo- most definitely. Like, yeah, the church like that, I mean, I'm, I'm sure they've got super highly qualified people, um, you know, do, doing it. The, here was, the, here was the, the thing that they did. Number one, one of the things we realize is everyone in the military has at least a standard level of high quality training, right? right? So even if you're the lowest person, you're going through 16 weeks of boot camp. Like you, you, you know what you're doing. Um, the, the other thing was that what, what he, what general McChrystal started doing was every day he did this thing called O and I, and it was operations and intelligence. Every single morning, they had thousands of people on this across the globe that were on this call where they, where they delivered the, the most important intelligence, the most important information about operations. So it created what he called collective conscience consciousness. Basically they're sharing a brain. He said, the problem is we had this fragmented organization. We had, everything was on a need to know basis. People didn't know stuff. Dude, it clicked for me. I went, that's why we, that's why we're not good at it because we're not, because people don't know what we know. 
right? We, we've not done a good job of creating clarity, like Shane said, that like I know a bunch of stuff. We push a decision down to the lowest level. They make a bad decision because they didn't know what I knew. And if they had known what I knew, they would have made a better decision. Now I have to go undo their decision. I've discouraged that person. Um, I've, I've undermined our value of pushing decision-making down all because we didn't communicate well. So what we've been trying to do right now is find out what, what are the mechanisms that we, can dis, that we can, in real time, as quickly as we can, share thorough information with people that they know what's going on. And that, that can be everything from, your, you, you know, what's your grid of decision-making? You know, um, what's important to you? What just happened? You know, and, and when you're thinking across the board, like even people being really clear on what the budget is. Um, you know, how, how much money do I have to spend on this? Um, you know, all of that. So w- where, where we were bad is we would empower people with limited information and frustrate the mess out of them because they weren't sure if they were making a good one or a bad one. And, and it was about, it was like a complete roll of the dice. And just for the sake of time, I want to take that question and then I'm going to give you guys a little bit of time to think of just, what, let's end with a little bit of humor. It's like your most embarrassing thing that you can share. All right. All right. So what's the question back here? Okay, so... What are your biggest mistakes uh, when it comes to regarding boundaries, either setting or not setting, with specifically people non-staff who serve in your church? Break that down a little bit. What do you yeah. mean, like? Okay, so when it comes to setting or not setting boundaries with them, um, like whether it be this is how close we can become, or this is your line of this is where you should be, and we're, our, our church is going through boundary series right now so I'm very interested in the subject. <laughs> do you guys understand it or do you need more? Here, just well, so so you're asking just how, how are they deciding who has, is it access? Is that a good word? Access would be, yeah, would be one word. Okay. Specifically regarding uh, non-staff. Okay, so church people, how much access they allow sure. them to have. Okay. Okay. Do we even have to discuss like the gender boundaries? No, not, not okay, good, good. All right, so so a few years ago, I read through the Gospels looking at how, specifically how Jesus managed his time and energy. And so I was looking at um, Jesus did what you do with your money. He gave, he saved, he invested. So he had certain people he gave to. He gave them something. They try to reciprocate. Now you're good. Just go. You're, you're fine. Don't, don't even follow me. Just go home. Um, and then he had um, he saved. So you'd see him go be with the go be with the father right right after John the Baptist is beheaded. You know he goes and he's like I just want to go be alone. You know get away from me. I'm by myself. He was building up his reserve. And then he invested. So we all know that Jesus like spent time with the woman at the well, and you know, uh, um, you know Zacchaeus, and you know people all you know the down and outers. But he also the vast majority was spent on people who he was investing in, who he would have ROI. Basically, the people he was going to entrust the Book of Acts to. And so I, I've tried to, in my mind, in a similar way, I budget kind of eighty ten ten. Like I've got ten percent or so of my time, and I'm not tracking it that closely, but I feel it. On I'm just giving it away. I'm going to take meetings of people that cannot reciprocate. They're not giving any money. They're, you know, I'm not going to leverage this relationship. I'm just giving to you. Um, there's going to be ten percent. I've got. I've got. I've got to get away. I've got to find how I restore myself, and I'm going to be cool with it because, and that's that's where one of the big mistakes I made was I just gave everything away, and I had no juice left. And, and, and it felt terribly selfish when he needs me to say, nope, I'm going to go do me, right? That's very hard. That was very hard for me to do. But I realized, like, if I don't, he's going to take my last bit and I'll have nothing for everyone else. But then 80% is in people who you are going to who are going to be a part of making the thing turn moving forward, so who you're investing in. So I think it just as a rule of thumb, if, you're, if all your time is given to – people that just want to drain you or, or that just want you to listen to them or they don't understand boundaries. And I think you just have to be like firm, but loving in the boundary and just say, Hey, look, I, you know, I have a guy right now who just texted me this morning going, Hey, uh, I'd like to set up a reoccurring meeting with you. Um, and, 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 and he went to my assistant and she said, no, she said, no. So he came to me and I said, um, Hey man, sorry, right now I have, I have, too many reoccurring meetings. I'm not able to do that. You know, if that offends him, dude, and, and he walks, and, you know, then so be it. But like I said, in a loving way, he knows him. You know, I love him and everything. But I think you just got to be willing to, you know, let people know and give them a scope of your life. Like, you know, I have a family. You know, I've got a lot of things going. I've, I've got to play within these boundaries. People will, they'll take you as far. You know, you know, a lot of people want to meet with me, and they'll go, I can only meet in the evenings. You know, and I'm like, 
Yeah, sorry, I can't do that. Like, if it's important enough for you to take off work and come at two, like, you know, you'll take off work to go to, you know, something stupid. You'll go to the fair. But you're not going to take off work to come talk to me about your marriage? I'll make time at 2 p.m., but we're not going to do it at 7. You know, so, I mean, you just find out how bad they want to do it. That was your short answer? That was the, that was the quick answer. <laughs> <laughs> the podcast is available, so you can get the whole do you want Do you want more on that, or do you feel good? Or? I thought that was perfect, right? Yeah, that's all you I would have just said something. All right, so <laughs> just we, got, we got about five more minutes left, and we're going to cut you loose for lunch, but just give us the biggest train wreck. Give us, and again, maybe a, I, I've thought about this on the way oh, here, so I have one ready. All right, I'll take it. Right. I'll start it. So he's going to set the standard. I'll set the standard. Try to outdo it, so this All right, fun. so we're we're four or five months in. We've got about 60, 70 people really kind of come in. We feel like we're clicking. We do our first baptism. We have 15 people signed up, 15 spontaneous. So we're doing like 30 baptism, 80 people. So cool, right? We are pumped. <laughs> we're baptizing people. I'm not great forward slam dunking people, but it's close. <laughs> You know, if you don't know it, just just YouTube it. Um, and so, yeah, yeah, 20 million. Um, so, I'm so juiced up. We're a Saturday night only church at this time. We're only meeting on Saturday night. We're not even doing Sunday morning. I make the announcement for the first time for my wife, my parents, for everybody who's a part of our church. I go, this has been amazing. People are cheering. I go, we're launching a Sunday morning in two weeks. Nobody's never even heard about us launching a Sunday morning. My wife... Listen, I say it. No, no, I say it on Saturday night because we're only Saturday night church. I go, we're going to Sunday morning in two weeks. I just got caught up in the moment. So I just say it, right? Nobody cheers. It's like dead quiet. 80 people are dead quiet. I hear my wife go, what did he say? And I realize I haven't told anybody that it's just been in my head, you know? And I'm just like, and then I get mad because nobody cheers. And I'm like, come on, what's wrong with you? Like, I start yelling at everybody that just, people are like baptized with their towels on. Like, am I supposed to be cheering for this? I don't know what's going on. I'm like, cheer. Like, God's going to reach more people, you sinners. I don't even care. I like, got so mad about it. And like afterwards, like, so we should have been celebrating baptism, right? Like all these people got baptized. Like a third of our church got baptized in one, one day. And all people were doing was just questioning, like, did you know? Did you know? Did you know? And like, my wife is like, nobody knew, okay? It's him. He's an idiot. Just leave him alone. So, so did you do it? Did you we did it. We launched in two weeks. And we had, we had 11 people come to it. It was like tumbleweed. Like, of like nobody was there. It was a train wreck. But a family that came to that first one, checked out five years ago, family that came to that first one has been with our church for all five years. I've never stopped coming to our church. So it was worth it. Thank you. Wow. Bam. I feel so much better about my uh, traveling, hitting the dog stuff. I've been saving this for that moment. So uh, the biggest train wreck uh, in the my wife I told you so moment was, you know when you're, you first launch, you're so desperate for anyone to lead. Like you'll just go, I don't care really if you're saying. I don't even want to know your name, but you'll serve. I'll take you. And uh, so we had a lady that was like the most amazing greeter. I'm talking two months in our church. She was loving on people, hugging. You know, I'm like, this is the nice. My wife's going, I don't feel good about her. I go, what are you talking about? Right she there. is awesome. Like, look at her. She's like greeting everyone, taking them coffee. Like, you know, pastor, can I get you a like, donut bag? What can I do? Like, she is like rockstar. I'm going, if our whole church was like this. Well, about a month after my wife was like, I'm telling you something's wrong, not right. And I'm telling my wife, uh, you don't know Jesus, Maybe apparently, I because Maybe I understand. Exactly. <laughs> And, uh, gosh, wives are so frustrating. And, um, so, and, uh, so, so about a month later, uh, this lady's just rocking our greeting team. And I had a wife and her husband come up and it is like the most gut wrenching look on their face. She's crying Sunday morning. I'm going, what the crap's wrong here? She so apparently the lady that was a greeter, uh, I didn't know that she, uh, did on uh, the evenings she would do uh, massage therapy oh. in uh, places, and you saw the air quotes, right? uh, yeah, and uh, we didn't know that she actually did that. And uh, apparently, the lady, uh, this couple, the husband, might have known of her services when they came to our church. And so we found out this lady was doing. Uh, so no wonder she was really good with people. She was like connected very well. <laughs> And, um, and so I said, babe, we have to go talk to her right now. And I was like, I'm not, that's all you. I tried to tell you a month ago. 
And uh, so we found, but my point was we didn't do our due diligence very well on that. And I don't know how you would do it on that, but um, my point was we were so desperate that. The point of the story is listen to your wife. There you go. That's the point of the story. All right. Those are those are t- those are two tough ones to top. Um, so we we have we have a lot of a lot of a lot of them. I'll give you one that I think was probably probably the funniest. We um you know we have this heart to plant churches and to multiply the church, and so we had saved. I want to say it was like two thousand uh, dollars that we put in this account to help somebody start. And I was coaching with this church planter, and so I said uh, I was thinking I was going to give him this two thousand dollars, and then um, I was reading through. You know, and I was I read the story of the parable of the talents, and I thought I got the idea. Instead of giving this two thousand to him, I'm going to give the two thousand to our church, and then have them take it and multiply it, and you know, come up with these ideas and stuff. I could just see it like going viral and just being amazing. And like you were handing out money. To yeah, we had we handed out money on a Sunday morning. Like we, we handed out a bunch of money. Um, we actually did more than two thousand. We did we did more than two thousand actually. And we uh, what we did was we said, look, take it. Take, we're going to take a month. Take this home. Come up with an idea of what you're going to do. And we said, when you do it, post it online, uh, whatever you come up with, with this money, like, because you might inspire, you might inspire the next person. And, and so, um, you know, we brought the planters up and all this. Well, it worked long term. We ended up, we raised in a month, we raised $20,000 that we were able to help two plants. But um, we had one person, I'll never forget, I, we hand out, we literally handed out this cash and um, she walks up to me, tears in her eyes. And she's like, this is my first Sunday uh, at this church. This is the most amazing thing I've ever seen. You know, she was very raw, like new, you know, new uh, to church and everything. She's like, I, I, you know, I'm in. Like, I'm gonna do something. I don't know, but I'm gonna do. It. I'm like, post it. Whatever you do, post it. She's like, all right. So, so she. Tag one church. Be very specific. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Tag our church, man. This could be someone's breakthrough. This could be someone's breakthrough. This is a defining moment. So, so she goes out. Her and her boyfriend, who were living together, they bought a keg. And they did, they, they did a keg uh, and sold, you know, charged, um, cover charge, you know, to come in. And it was to help one church plan a new church. And they took pictures and put it online. And, um, and, and the funny thing was our, our team was like, dude, you know, these pictures are online. Like, this is all, you know. And I was like, how much did they raise? You know, but anyways. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I don't, I honestly don't remember. General counsel with Ohio. Yeah. Yeah, we, we you know. The thing is, man, when you, you know, when, when you go, you, you do, you get these messy situations. I mean, you know, we, we launch out with uh, groups, you know, and we find out we have this couple that's cohabitating, leading a group in their home, you know, showing around. They're not married, you know, and we're like, oh, dang, you know, we need to put that on the application. Um, you know, so, I mean, that, that, that kind of stuff, is, you know, happens all the time. And, uh, you know, you, you got to embrace it and then you just got to deal with it, you know, and deal with it in love. And especially the more that you are growing in those relationships, you know, I'll tell you, man, I, I know you come into something like this and people are throwing out numbers and uh, man, I, I can't tell you how much of our journey is not on Instagram. Uh, that is just a grind. It really is. It's tough. Like, you know, we, our first year, we went to two services. I'll never forget. We're going into the summer, 9am service. We had one person in the crowd when worship kicked off one human being and, and, our, and our worship leader said, and this is no joke. Stand all across this place. <laughs> yeah, stand, yeah. So, so be inspired. I mean, look, you know, there's things you don't see. Keep going. You know, stay faithful. And, and guys, these are three of the most transparent people. You you hear all the stories and, and you read all the articles and you see YouTube videos, but these guys will tell you their their junk. And and I would say, that how long, how long again? You were four years, five, five years. What do you think? Greg, you're now six years into this, and as many mistakes as they have, the, the reason that they're at where they're at is just because they kept going. Yeah. You know, and so I would say to you, no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, just let's let's just let, let's get to a point where we're celebrating the mistakes. And maybe we don't post them, but in environments like this, we can just talk about them. And because I think part of the reason, and they didn't even get into this, is maybe the danger of comparison and how maybe that was a huge mistake along the way. Don't do that. Don't try to compare what you're doing with their results. Just be faithful to the call that God has placed in your heart and in your life. Make some big mistakes along the way because reality is God's still in control. He's still going to do what He wants to do through you as long as you're obedient. So I'm going to give them 30 seconds for a final parting word, and then I'm going to dismiss you because we got another room coming into here. So 
What, what would you like to say? Just wrap it up. I just say, I echo what you're saying. Don't judge somebody's highlight reel for your day to day. You know, don't look at like, man, I see what they're doing on Instagram. They're so much better than us. Just follow God. Be faithful. Know this. Don't despise the day, small beginnings, and enjoy the journey. If you get nothing else, know that God's doing something with you. Yeah, I would just say, um, whatever you do, God has a voice and a calling for you, your church, and your city. And uh, you can do a lot of things well that a lot of people do, but nothing will produce fruit by letting, except letting God speak to you and lead you into your hand will sustain you. So trust His Word over any other church planning thing you can hear. His Word and His voice, the great wisdom will take you to places you can I would say God cares a whole lot more about who you're becoming than what you're doing. And in ministry, it's so easy to get, we get obsessed and focused on what we're doing, what we're accomplishing, you know, up or down. And God, you know, if you have children, you have the advantage of looking and knowing that if you have one that's on the honor roll and one that has a learning disability or a challenge, you don't love one more than the other. You love who they're becoming, and that's exactly how your Heavenly Father looks at you. So if you spend your identity based on your accomplishments or, you know, who's recognizing you, who's not, just it'll be a nightmare. It'll never be enough. You know, you've got to find it from the Father, and that's that's what produces your energy um, to do what He's called you to do. That's good. Thanks, guys. Hey,